Great news, guys. Congress is doing another bipartisanship. This time, it's about the war in Iraq. On the occasion of the 20-year anniversary of the invasion, the U.S. Senate is pushing a bill that will end the authorization for war there. Congress has shirked its responsibility to our troops. For more than 20 years since passing these AUMFs, those in power have stretched and skewed their original intent. The original intent was to allow the United States to go to war against Iraq. But 20 years later, Iraq's pretty much our ally. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Every year we keep these AUMFs on the books is just another chance for future administrations to abuse or misuse them beyond their original intent. Nearly every president we've had since this war began in 2003 has ended the war in Iraq, and it's still not really over. So last week, Today Explained went down to South by Southwest in Austin, Texas to remind people what exactly this war was. And we're going to bring you that live show today. It's a little bit of a different vibe, and there's some strong language, but we hope you'll listen, and we hope you'll remember along with us. Support for Today Explained comes from Vanta. Vanta knows that when it comes to ensuring that your company has top-notch security, things can get very complicated. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta can help you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk, plus quickly complete security questionnaires with Vanta AI. According to Vanta, thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. You can learn more by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash explained. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash explained. Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences. So there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. It's Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramos Firm, and we are live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas on the 13th of March, 2023. We were, uh, we were supposed to be here three years ago in March, but the whole event got canceled. Not just our session, every single one of them. And that's when I knew cancel culture was out of control. <laughs> we are very happy South by Southwest is back. and We are very grateful to be here. It's a special occasion. And we want to take that for granted. We wanted to use this occasion to talk about something meaningful. So today I'm going to talk to y'all about the Iraq War. Not the first one, the sequel, Iraq 2, Bush 2, which might feel a little random, right? This is today explained in the Iraq War and like three presidents ago. It was Afghanistan that ended just recently. At least we could talk about Afghanistan. Plus there's a whole other war going on right now, right? One that everyone's focused on, one that we talk about on the show all the time. So why use this occasion to talk about Iraq? I've got a few reasons. 
First, it was 20 years ago this month that this war began. Second, as much as we'd like to think that this war is like a distant memory, it's not quite that. A few thousand U.S. troops are still there. Just last week, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin took a trip to Iraq to tell the country that those troops were not going anywhere anytime soon. Believe it or not, the Iraq War got as many mentions as abortion did at this year's State of the Union. Abortion for obvious reasons, but Iraq because it turns out a lot of Iraqi veterans are still suffering from exposure to toxic burn pits. And that's another reason I want to talk about Iraq today. I think for veterans, this war isn't over. And for Iraqis, this war certainly isn't over. And since it isn't over yet, I think it's really important that we remember. But I'm not convinced we do. I had a feeling before we really jumped into production on this live show that a lot of Americans would have no recollection of why we went. And today, explain producer Heidi Mawagdi hit the streets of Dallas, Texas, not far from where he lives, to test my hypothesis. You remember why we went to war in Iraq? That I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm uh, sad to report back that I was right. No, I don't remember the reasons that we were going to war. I just remember feeling sad when I heard about that, when they broadcast it on the news that morning. I want to say it may be attached to 9-11. I'm not sure, but I want to say that that's my thinking. Yeah, I believe that was 2001, right? I remember after uh, September 11th, um, you know, we had went over there because uh, the, you know, the issue with the terrorist attack and all of that, and then the issue over the oil and all of that. So briefly, yeah, I do remember. I don't know. I, I guess I remember, like, I, I would have just said oil. I, I think, like, now I, I don't think I, I could really see her and tell you. Truly, the, the, the on-paper reason why I would, at this point, tell you, I would assume oil, that they stayed. Oil, that's always my assumption. Oil. I think Gaddafi had something to do with it, but I might be wrong. I might be thinking of something else. But there was an element that dealt with either Iraq or Pakistan, one of the two countries were uh, either helping hide, like people that actually helped plan the attack, and that's what actually kept it going, if I'm not mistaken. I don't blame those individuals for not really knowing what happened. Most of the people Hadi spoke with were just kids when this war started 20 years ago, and I can relate. I was 18. It was remarkably easy at the time to go about your life as if this war just wasn't happening. Since this war began in 2003, I've gone to like three schools, had like two dozen jobs, and lived in four states and the District of Columbia. And in all that time and life, I can only recall one person I knew whose life was really impacted by this war. His name was Ricky Slocum. Ricky and I went to high school together, Saugus High School, Santa Clarita, California. It's best known today for being the site of a mass shooting in November 2019. When I visit for the holidays, I still see Saugus Strong signs everywhere. Back when me and Ricky went to school there, it wasn't really known for much of anything. It was the kind of place where you could go cause a stir just for being a guy wearing a hot pink polo. And I know this because one day in 2001, I wore a hot pink polo to Saugus High School. The only interaction I ever had with Ricky Slocum was on that day. My friends and I had hit the Saugus Goodwill a few days earlier, and I'd found this pop-in pink polo that felt like a steal at two or three bucks. 
I waited a few days before I wore it to school. I didn't want to seem too thirsty. And on the big day, the same friends and I were all hanging out in the high school quad between classes. And Ricky was across the quad with his friends. And they did not like my hot pink polo. Or maybe they did, but they felt threatened by it. Either way, they were all pointing and laughing from across the quad. And I guess that wasn't enough because then one of them yelled in my direction. Time stopped. I didn't know the guys yelling, but all my friends did. They didn't think it was Ricky who yelled it. They thought it was one of his buddies. But it must have struck a chord because I distinctly remember one of my friends saying to me, you shouldn't have worn that shirt to school today, man. And I was shocked. In just a few years, it would be cooler than cool to be a boy in a hot pink polo. Andre 3K would hold a smoking hot pink pistol on the cover of The Love Below. Kanye would rock a pink polo in the All Falls Down video. All the skater brands that were so popular at Saugus High School would embrace hot pink. But on this particular day at Saugus High, fall semester 2001, I was ahead of my time and all alone. That interaction in the quad that day, as far as I know, was the only time it occurred to Ricky Slocum that I existed. But Ricky did come over to my house one time. It was on the night of my 18th birthday, just a week before the United States invaded Iraq. It was a Friday night, and we almost certainly played this song by Slick Shoes on the boombox. Still slaps. I somehow caught my parents into leaving town and letting me throw, throw a big old house party that night. And I somehow procured a lot of alcohol, which was a pretty big deal when you were 18 years old in Saugus, California in 2003. There was a war going on in Afghanistan. Another one was clearly about to start, but I was 18 years old in a finely manicured Southern California suburb and felt totally invincible. It was gonna be a great night. I didn't invite him, but Ricky showed up. Apparently my buddy John's girlfriend, Missy, invited him, but I didn't see Ricky come in. One of my classmates had had one too many and needed some moral support while he was familiarizing himself with the porcelain upstairs. But downstairs, things were getting uncomfortable. So I was drinking that night, so I'll try to remember as much as I can about it. My friend William witnessed Ricky roll in with an entire crew of guys who looked really out of place at my house. A group of people showed up um, that were like skinheads, but not like... British, like, ska, anti-racist skinheads. These were, like, not, like, skinny little skinheads. They were, like, you know, gym rat, like, meathead skinhead. Like, they just showed up and people started talking about it. Everyone coexisted for a minute without the house burning down, but pretty quickly, someone decided this could only end badly and took ownership of the situation. Somebody went up to them and they were like, yo, it's not cool for you to be here, and tried to kick him out of the party. And remarkably, Ricky and his prematurely bald friends decided to go, but they took some souvenirs on their way out the door. They grabbed a bunch of 12-packs from the party and tried to steal a bunch of beer. William and another friend, Chris, followed Ricky and his friends outside to defend the integrity of our cervezas. Like, oh, no, we're not going to let these guys steal stuff from us. And went outside. And I think I went out with Chris to be like, well, if something happens, I guess I'll be there. 
as if I was going to do anything, but like to like back him up or something. And then as they were getting in their car, Chris tried to grab the 12 pack from them. And one of them grabbed a beer out of the 12 pack and threw it and hit Chris in the face. And then, you know, mayhem or whatever, they started getting aggressive. I think that I was trying to be like, hey, man, let's 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 be cool. Like, let's chill out. I don't it's like really hard to remember because in that scuffle, I got punched in the face and I think I got knocked out. So, like, I vaguely remember, you know, waking up sort of on the ground and somebody giving me like something to put on my face. I couldn't believe what Ricky and his friends had done to William. It looked like they'd given him a broken nose. But I should have known because Ricky had a bit of a reputation. And most of the people at that party were familiar with it, including my buddy Andrew. Tell me just like what comes to mind when I say the name Ricky Slocum. <laughs> oh, man. Um, fighting a lot. He, he was like, he had a reputation for like going to parties and, and like, I was just actually just talking about this to someone, telling him like how he used to go to parties and be like, "I want give me two of your biggest guys, I'll fight them right now." And then like uh, I um, was hanging out with some dudes. This was, like after high school that went to Canyon. Canyon was another high school in Santa Clarita. You could call it a rival school. And like they were talking about this dude that showed up to their party and was like, "I want to see two of your biggest guys outside right now, so I can fight them." And I was like, holy shit, they fucking ran into Ricky Slocum. This is all I ever really knew of Ricky Slocum. He was one of those outsized characters in high school. Everyone knew him. A lot of people loved him. And a lot of people were terrified of him. But then you graduate, and characters like Ricky Slocum, they shrink in magnitude until one day you hear some sad story about them and you can't help but feel bad. With Ricky, it was that he died in Iraq, 19 years old. It was October 2004. I think I was driving around Santa Clarita with my friends when Andrew told me. As I remember, I was in the passenger seat. He was behind the driver. And I just screamed. What? I remember the holy shitness of that moment. But I do not remember a lot of tears. Well, I wasn't sad. I, didn't, I definitely didn't mourn his loss. It was more like, yeah, that sounds about right. I think for those of us who were sitting in that car that night, it felt like a dude who lived to fight had gone and died in a fight. But not everyone I knew felt that way. About a year later, I was getting into my college roommate's car to go get some dinner with him. And just as I was crouching into the passenger seat of his Mustang, I noticed a pamphlet was already sitting there. There was a pamphlet with Ricky's face on it. Looked like it could have been from his funeral. And I turned to Kevin, and I was like, what is this? And he was like... Uh, yeah, you were holding a pamphlet from um, his uh, funeral. Because my college roommate, Kevin, attended Ricky's funeral. I met him probably maybe 11, 11 or 12 years old. I don't know, either the end of elementary school, like sixth grade-ish, or like the beginning of junior high. We went to the same junior high, so for sure uh, we became friends there, but then kind of continued on through high school, and then he ended up joining the Marines uh, out of high school, and relatively early on, yeah, uh, unfortunately from joining the Marines, uh, ended up dying, yeah. And of course, Kevin remembered Ricky differently than my friends and I did. Like, Ricky's premature baldness, for example, the meathead, skinhead thing, 
it maybe wasn't as black and white as we had thought. I think it was honestly more a point. I remember one time he even came like dressed up to school more like very like Chicano Cholo style, you know, even though he was like white and not Mexican. But yeah, he definitely had the, he had, had the like flannel shirt buttoned up top. He had like just picked his head. He had some like real dark lokes on with like a, had the bandana across the forehead, like real broad though, you know? And while Kevin acknowledged Ricky could be something of a bully, he also told me about times when he saw Ricky as a protector. We were walking through the mall. It was me, him, and a couple other friends in high school, probably like 14, 15. And there was uh, some kids there who were, I don't know, had somehow started like talking and got into like some like verbal altercation with some other kids who I think went to another high school. And he like, in that instance, like, like physically like fought with these other kids, like for these other kids who were like getting picked on, you know? Um, and, and he had no idea who they were. They were like complete strangers, you know? Maybe that's why Ricky wanted to enlist as infantry in the Marines. He got to kick some ass and do some protecting too. But the story I heard was that Ricky didn't die doing either of those things in Iraq. He died in what was reported as a non-combat related vehicle accident. Apparently, his Humvee overturned while maneuvering through barricades one night near Abu Ghraib. He was in the turret on top of the Humvee, and he was ejected. His internal organs were crushed by his own 50 caliber machine gun. He traveled halfway around the world to serve in Iraq, and he died in a car accident. To this day, I don't know what he died for. I think some of it was due to 9-11, the whole towers coming down, and I'm not total 100% sure. Uh, We were going to get somebody, and it was the wrong place to go. I mean, it's just President Bush at the time was, they, they were out for blood. Actually, Dick Cheney was out for blood, and they wanted to go after somebody. What we were doing, we invaded, what we were going for, right? It was the whole talk, still to this day, right? We imagine the actual talk, like we invaded because they had weapons, mass weapons of destruction. But did they? Uh, yeah, weapons of mass destruction. And just how it, like none of it really made sense and it all kind of felt like bullshit. You're listening to Today Explained live from South by Southwest this past week in Austin, Texas. We're going to pause for a moment and be right back with why this war happened, or at least why we were told it needed to happen and what happened after that. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from NetSuite. I've never worked in media before, and it's really fun to see deals come through, especially when we signed with MKBHD and the Waveform podcast. That was one of my favorite shows on YouTube, and I've loved that we've partnered with him. I'm Christina Ho Rodriguez, and I am a senior manager of revenue accounting at Vox Media. At Vox, I'm not so siloed in my own revenue accounting department. I'm getting to see the big picture of, of what the company is working on. In my first year, the company went through a really big merger with another media company, and we switched from our old ERP system to NetSuite. 
We had to integrate NetSuite really fast. It was very user-friendly right out of the box. Over the last couple months, our team developed a new revenue reporting module that makes our reporting much faster, much more automated. I have a lot of hope with what we can do in the future with NetSuite so that we're able to optimize, make our team a lot more successful, and improve our processes. We're only as good as our best data, and NetSuite allows us to see it all. Discover the power of NetSuite, a leading cloud financial system serving more than 37,000 businesses. Download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com explained. That's netsuite.com explained to get your own KPI checklist. Support for Today Explained comes from Shopify. If medieval individuals had access to the internet, at least one of them would figure out the benefits of e-commerce, and the rest might shun them for witchcraft. <laughs> Luckily, the year is 2024, and anyone can actually make a living selling stuff online. You can start your own ye old online shop with Shopify, you can sign up for a $1 month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. It's all lowercase. You can go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash explained. Businesses that grow, grow with ye old Shopify. Deal with it. <laughs> what do you think today explained this? <laughs> I don't know. Here's what happened in Iraq. 20 years ago, almost to the day, George W. Bush, who I believe lives not too far from here, got on all the big channels and announced the United States would be invading Iraq. This was not Afghanistan. This was not the place where Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda we're hanging out. When George W. Bush told the American people we were at war in Afghanistan in 2001, he said this to our armed forces. To all the men and women in our military, every sailor, every soldier, every airman, every Coast Guardsman, every Marine, I say this, your mission is defined, your objectives are clear, your goal is just. With Iraq, a couple years later, he made no such pledge. Instead, he said the invasion was necessary, to free its people, and and to defend the world from grave danger. Bush said Saddam Hussein was threatening the peace of the world with weapons of mass murder. And from the jump, people whose business it was to be all up in Iraq's weapons business had a hard time believing that. Six months before the war started, an intelligence document that's since been declassified stated that the United States was mostly relying on, quote, assumptions and judgment rather than, quote, hard evidence when making the case that Saddam Hussein had weapons that threatened the Western world. Despite that, in February 2003, one month before the war began, Secretary of State Colin Powell appeared before the United Nations and said, My colleagues, every statement I make today is backed up by sources, solid sources. These are not assertions. What we're giving you are facts and conclusions based on solid intelligence. That same month, Saddam Hussein allowed United Nations inspectors into his country to investigate his weapons programs. The UN found no evidence of weapons of mass destruction. Around this time, British intelligence agencies were talking about the case for war in Iraq. We know now that behind closed doors, they said 
Iraq posed no threat to the West and that, quote, regime change was inadvisable, primarily on the grounds that Iraq would collapse into chaos, which, of course, it did. In May of 2003, just two months after the war began, George W. Bush boarded an aircraft carrier off the coast of San Diego to declare mission accomplished in Iraq. He said, Major combat operations in Iraq have ended. In the Battle of Iraq, the United States and our allies have prevailed. But, he added, The transition from dictatorship to democracy will take time, but it is worth every effort. Our coalition will stay until our work is done. A writer in Rolling Stone recently wrote that these early months were the fuck-around stage of the Iraq War, and the United States was about to spend the next decade or so finding out. A few months after Bush's declaration of victory, a suicide bomber drove a cement truck into the UN headquarters in Iraq, destroying the building and killing 22 people. That was a sign of what was to come. In the following months and years, insurgents would target US forces, who were trying to maintain control over a country that was descending into sectarian violence. Saddam Hussein held Iraq together with brutal tactics and repression. Now he was gone, and it was on people like Ricky Slocum to hold Iraq together. The instability bred resentment toward U.S. forces. They had tanks and Humvees and air support. The growing insurgency had suicide attacks, car bombs, surface-to-air missiles, guns, and a shitload of homemade bombs. In early 2004, the Bush administration conceded there were no weapons of mass destruction to be found. An intelligence officer named David Kay testified before Congress. Let me begin by saying we were almost all wrong. But that same year, the fighting intensified. The first battle of Fallujah, the second battle of Fallujah, American soldiers are dying, insurgents are dying, Iraqi civilians are dying. 2004 was also the year the world found out about prisoner torture at Abu Ghraib, not far from where Ricky died that year. Pictures began to leak of United States armed forces engaged in physical abuse, torture, and rape of Iraqi prisoners. Abu Ghraib would later be cited as inspiration for the beheadings of American civilians taken by Iraqi insurgents. In his book about the war, titled Fiasco, the Washington Post former Pentagon correspondent Thomas Ricks claimed there are more than 34,000 insurgent attacks in 2005. At this point, the war was costing the American taxpayer about $5 billion a month. By 2006, there was a new war, a civil war, U.S. and Iraqi forces versus various sectarian groups. By 2007, it was clear the United States would need to escalate to hold Iraq. So George W. Bush sent an additional 20,000 armed forces in the first troop surge. In 2008, you'll all recall we had a little regime change of our own. Barack Obama was elected the 44th president of the United States of America. He ran on a campaign to end the combat mission in Iraq. Most of you know that I opposed this war from the start. I thought it was a tragic mistake. Today, we grieve for the families who have lost loved ones, the hearts that have been broken, and the young lives that could have been. America, it is time to start bringing our troops home. Obama delivered kinda? He starts drawing down troops once he enters office, and by the end of 2011, he declares the end of the United States combat mission in Iraq. Mission accomplished, again. But by 2014, 
The Islamic State had seized control of large swaths of the country, and President Obama had to send troops back to Iraq to fight them. There's a third war within a war. And it lasts into the presidency of Obama's successor and then his successor. In 2021, the United States military announces the end to its combat mission in Iraq. Again. But the military will not leave the country. 2,500 troops will remain and transition to, quote, advise, assist, and enable Iraqi forces who are battling the Islamic State. Today, right now, those 2,500 U.S. troops remain in Iraq. Some of them are younger than the congressional authorization that put them there. So far, the war in Iraq has cost the United States nearly $2 trillion. To date, 4,418 American service members have died there. Tens of thousands have been injured. At the outset of the war, George W. Bush said coalition forces would make every effort to spare innocent civilians from harm. Brown University's Casa War Project estimates around 300,000 Iraqi civilians were killed by direct violence since the U.S. invasion. They say the actual number of civilians killed by direct and indirect war violence is unknown, but likely much higher. According to the Center for Public Integrity, the Bush White House made 935 false statements about Iraq in the two years following 9-11. When asked to take stock of the war by Wolf Blitzer in 2011, former Vice President Dick Cheney said, uh, I don't think you can make a case that the world would be better off today if Saddam Hussein were still in power. So no regrets about Iraq. I think we made exactly the right decisions. Cheney's former boss, George W. Bush, might disagree with him. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh... Don't you hate it when you say what you think? People laugh, right? This isn't the guy who encouraged an insurrection after all. This is the guy who paints Iraqi war veterans. Let's talk about the veterans. In 2022, President Biden signed the PACT Act to help treat veterans with toxic exposures, including those who were exposed to burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan. These are sites where... The United States Armed Forces burned uniforms, equipment, computers, poop, and were in turn exposed to toxic smoke and air. Conditions range from shortness of breath to bronchitis to cancer. President Biden believes his own son, Beau, died of cancer that can be traced back to his own exposure to burn pits in Iraq. Cancer, bronchitis, and all the rest got nothing on suicides, though. Brown University says over 30,000 service members from the 9-11 wars have ended their own lives. Back in January, my mom sent me a story from the town where she still lives, Santa Clarita, the city where Ricky Slocum and I went to high school at Saugus. It was about a shooting at a bar. Not a frequent occurrence in this cookie-cutter Southern California suburb. Turns out it was an off-duty deputy sheriff who pulled the trigger. He was an Afghanistan veteran named Jonathan Buchan. And Jonathan Buchan was the victim. He shot himself that night at the bar and died. Another veteran, another suicide, another statistic. And because Jonathan's suicide was so close to home, he made me think of Ricky. I started to wonder what Ricky would be doing if he had made it home. Maybe he would be a cop. Maybe he'd have come around to hot pink. It makes me mad that we'll never know. 
which is weird because I hardly knew him. And the people who are closest to him, they aren't mad at all. In the 20 years since you found out, have you ever felt mad? No. I feel proud of what he did. He was doing what he wanted to do. A few days ago, I spoke with Ricky's father. I'm Bob Slocum. I'm a Gold Star dad because my son Ricky Slocum was killed in Iraq on October 24th, 2004. The first thing I told Bob was that I was going to tell a lot of people his late son Ricky liked to beat people up when we were in high school. Bob Slocum was like, yeah. I just know they started a something called the Fight Club here in Santa Clarita, hmm. which was a little social gathering. Um, <laughs> and he would come home a little bit, you know, marked up a little, little bit. And I said, what happened? He says, well, we hit the Fight Club last night. So it's like, okay, whatever that is. <laughs> it was not news to Bob that his son Ricky liked to fight. Ricky was a protector. Um, he had a good social network where if somebody felt threatened, they would call him and he would come in and figure things out, you know, and help out with protecting his friends. After 9-11, Ricky decided he wanted to protect his country. That was in the 11th grade back in 2002. Um, that's when he enlisted for the Marines. He just wanted to fight and protect. And, you know, that's, that's who he was. He was a fighter. Did you have any qualms or, or did your wife, Ricky's mom, Kay, have any qualms with him enlisting? Were you? Of course. Of course we did. I mean, we couldn't stop him because he was 18. Um, but it was his idea. And at the time, we were in a full-fledged war. Um, and I was just doing the math. Like, okay, well, how many people enlist? How many people don't come home? And, you know, the list was very low as far as people that don't come home. Um, so you just try not to think about it as parents um, and just hope your son stays safe. Mm-hmm. And the day those three Marines came knocking on my door at six o'clock in the morning, it changed our lives. They would ask, are you Mr. Slocum? And I said, yes. Can we come in? When the Iraq war started, Americans didn't have a lot of information. We were told there were weapons, that Saddam was bad, and that there should be democracy in Iraq. 20 years later, we know there were no weapons. Saddam is gone. The Islamic State is still a threat, and democracy is fragile as fuck. And hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people died to get us here, including Ricky Slocum. So I asked Bob, what he thinks of the war 20 years later. Well, have we had another terrorist attack in the United States? No. 
So I'm thinking they went in, they got what they need to get done. They got Saddam Hussein. And I think we need a presence in Iraq just to keep the peace. Um, and I know we can bring more troops in if we need to, but I just hope our presence there is a positive for the people in Iraq. Mm. I think it's a very oppressed country. Bob doesn't have a choice but to remember Iraq. He mentioned the date Ricky died over and over when we talked. October 24, 2004. October 24, 2004. But he told me his community hasn't forgotten Ricky either. Every October 24th, friends and family come over to his house for a vigil. They remember Ricky together. He invited me to the next one. Sorry you had a bad experience with him. <laughs> you know, he was not anti anti gay. Um, he, he he had gay friends too. So um, I, I don't know what happened on that night where he chastised you for wearing pink. But yeah, you know, I, I got a grandson wearing pink. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> I say in the piece that if Ricky were still here, he'd probably be wearing a pink polo. <laughs> he probably would. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sean Ramos for him. That was Today Explained live from South by Southwest 2023, recorded in Austin, Texas last week. The show was produced by me and Hadi Mawagdi. It was edited by Jolie Myers and fact-checked by Laura Bullard. Thanks to Paul Robert Mounsey, Noel King, Amina Al-Sadi, Matthew Collette, Jonathan Geyer, and Victoria Chamberlain for their help with this show. And thanks to Darren Archer and Zachary Hunsaker for helping me remember. <laughs>